We have an amazing Native American undergraduate museum fellowship program. We have a Native American artist in residence program. And we're very excited about a newly developed teen program that's highlighting uh, Native teens in the Twin Cities. Bonjour, Ani, and welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Miigwech for joining us. Native Lights is a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week we have great conversations with wonderful guests from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, and we talk with them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their communities. It's really fun amplifying Native voices. And here we are again today, this week, Another great voice to amplify. How are you doing, Cole? Great. Um, I was curious because, you know, we're siblings and all that. I was wondering if you experience winter dryness because I'm just going through a whole bunch of that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Like under my eyes and like, it's just. Oh, yeah, like dry skin. Yeah, just, Mm. I don't know. It's just Mm -hmm. super dry in here. I don't know. We even use a humidifier. Do you deal with that? I do. I noticed I have to put extra lotion on my elbows. What's the lotion? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm even trying to make Marvin, our kid, uh, put lotion on because I noticed his little arms getting all dry too. What yeah. is going on? But yeah, it's that, it's that time. <laughs> it's a normal thing, but I feel like this this year it's like even worse. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's just age or something. I don't know. Um, All of that moisture that's supposed to be in the air is stuck in the snow that's on the ground. (laughs) There you go. And there's plenty of snow right now as we speak. And more of it on the way. (laughs) At the time of recording. (laughs) At the time of recording, yes, yes. (laughs) I also had another funny story because talking about amplified native voices, uh, there was at least a couple shinobs out at the Vikings game. And uh, I, I... I've noticed it recently. There's been more uh, native folks, like in the you could see like Skoden oh, in yeah. the crowd <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. But I also noticed like these these two guys look really familiar. Uh, I was looking through some Getty images for my regular full time job, mm-hmm. um, and I noticed these two guys look very familiar. So I sent it to Dad, um, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, that's uh, that's your uncles, Paul, Joe, and Daryl, Sam." Oh, um, funny! All painted up and. Stuff like that. So it's great to see them out there and all, and you know, having fun and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and they were at the biggest, the biggest comeback in NFL history that the Vikings had against the Colts. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't need to get into much into it, but skull and all that stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Skull, etc. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to the topic at hand. Our guest today is Amber Annis. Um, very excited to talk to her. Amber is a citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, who is currently the director of Native American Initiatives at the Minnesota Historical Society. And we've certainly talked to some people with the Minnesota Historic- Historical Society in the past. Amber has a long uh, track record as not only a public historian, but as an educator, tribal nation liaison, community engagement specialist, and collaborator. So can't wait to collab on this interview today. And then outside of her work at the Historical Society, Amber Annis has also spent the past several years as an instructor at the Metropolitan State University and University of Minnesota, 
where she teaches cultural awareness, contemporary native identity, environmental justice, and United States politics. And she's also a Native Governance Center, Native Nation Rebuilder, which we've uh, talked about in the past as well. Um, can't wait to hear from her on all of that um, and just hear her story. And here she is, Buju Amber. Wahami Takiapi, Amber Anasimachiapi, Chantewashtenape, Chiyuzapi. Hello to you both. My name is Amber Annis. I greet you with a good heart and a warm handshake. Um, I am zooming in from my office at the Minnesota Historical Society. Um, Minikoju Lakota. I'm also English. I'm a citizen of the Shine River Sioux tribe, born and raised in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. Is there anything that you're thinking about these days, something that's at the top of your mind that you are getting excited about? For me, it's always about representation in museums. Not always, I should say, since I've been in my position, but it really is about Native representation. I'm thinking about that all the time. Um, I think about that in the work that we do at the Historical Society. Um, I think about that, um, my daughters who go to school in St. Paul Public Schools, I think about what representation looks like for them. Um, I think about it in who I engage with, you know, across the state. Um, and I say that it's something that's been on my mind lately because, you know, I'm often in conversations where a big part of our job is educating. It's helping other, it's helping folks, non-Native folks. Um, it's helping them think about Native people in a contemporary setting. You know, I mean, we're really, even though we're, we've, we've come so far, you know, and we live in such a great state, um, you know, 11 sovereign nations, tribal sovereign nations and beyond where we have such great native representation in the state, in our organizations, it's still pretty profound how little a lot of people know about native people, about native folks. Um, and I see that in my work a lot. So a lot of our work is about educating and I, I'm, always so grateful for those opportunities and moments where representation exists. Um, we bring it at the museum, but boy, I sure wish there was more of it here. <laughs> You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Amber Annis, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen, who is currently the director of Native American Initiatives at the Minnesota Historical Society. Can you talk a little bit about your role at the Minnesota Historical Society and what does Native representation mean there? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I'm the director of Native American Initiatives. Um, I'm new in this position. I've been in this position about a year. I've been at the Historical Society for about four years, um, however. I also um, am a member of the leadership team at the Minnesota Historical Society. And, and that's a I bring that up to to highlight the importance of representation in those positions, in those positions of leadership, um, because that really is where change is made. Change happens and where we can see change happening and it trickles down. Um, representation, you know, when I first started, and it's the same way, you know, I mean, when you first start at a predominantly white institution, you 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 look for who your people are. <laughs> you know, you tend to search for who your people are. Uh, and when I joined the institution, there was Native American Initiatives Department, and it was always my end goal. You know, it was always my end goal. I knew 
that that's the that's the um, department I would want to be in because I see the um, I could see and I do see the power that our department has, but also the responsibility. It's such a great responsibility. Um, you know, we're we're responsible for the vision and strategy of Native American history across our institutions, but also our historic sites, and we do that in a variety of ways. We do that through our programs that we run. We have an amazing Native American undergraduate museum fellowship program. We have a Native American artist in residence program, and we're very excited about a newly developed teen program that's highlighting uh, Native teens in the Twin Cities. So outside of this program, right, these programs are really about getting Native folks into the museum, the knowledge that they share with us, but also how we can help inform some of the work or the interest that they might have in museums. We also do that through public programs. We do that through exhibits. One thing that we're all really excited about, I guess you said geeking out on, is uh, an exhibit we're getting ready for. Um, so we have um, a full-time permanent exhibit called Our Home, Native Minnesota. Complementary to that exhibit is a rotating gallery. It's a community space. We're getting ready for our very first exhibit in that space. And this exhibit is called Reframing Our Stories. And it focuses on um, historical photographs that came to us through the Star Tribune. So those came to the Historical Society about five years ago, I'd say. And once curators started going through those um, through those boxes and archives, they came upon folders that just said Indians on them. Indians, in quotation marks. <laughs> so oh. they looped in the NAI team. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went down. And of course, it was, you know, I mean, there were record, historical records from Star Tribune. So they were associated to articles and they ranged from the 20s to the 90s. And as we go in these, we're just overwhelmed with how amazing these photographs are. Um, they are, they revealed as we're going through them, we're seeing, you know, such great photographs on the Twin Cities, on uh urban, you know, an urban native organizing in the Twin Cities. So we're seeing themes of like resilience, we're seeing themes of community organizing, education, sports, I mean, in such a such an array that those of us who have worked, you know, within this field, or even within, you know, Minnesota studies for a while, we're like, we've never seen these before. So we know that, you know, we're also pretty certain that in terms of what that looks like for the public. Um, and so the neat thing about this is, as you know, a photographer will go and do a story and they'll take a plethora of photos and they'll use one photo. So as we see the article and then we see the photo, an example of there was an article about the takeover of the naval base at Fort Snelling. Mm -hmm. And the image that's associated with that is um, a native guy right outside, right outside of the building and he's got a blanket wrapped around him. And there's like a state official talking to him. That's the image that was picked by the journalist by the photographer to use. But if you go into the negatives, it reveals such an amazing story. Another side of that story that involves our children, that involves older people, that involves organizing, that involves, you know, the 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 community you could see sort of coming together and the importance of what taking over this naval base, this um the takeover meant, you know, and such a juxtaposition to what, you know, I mean, juxtaposition right in terms of here's an image of a native guy in a blanket, which you can understand then, right? That's like these romanticized ideas, stereotypes 
versus the other images that just show young people, older people, generational people together, working together on an issue like this. And so what we're doing is taking these, highlighting these images, and we're calling it reframing our stories because that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, we're we're reaching out to folks in the photographs. We've discovered so many great stories and people that have seen themselves. Like we've done a lot of community events. We're like, that's me. <laughs> that's me or that's my mom. And then yeah. stories just start emerging from there. That's awesome because we've uh, <clears throat> actually uh, spoken in the past with Rita Walzek, aren't? Yeah. And uh, so she's she's talked about you know that the importance of of uh, you know the same thing that you're talking about. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, how you guys work together on on doing on doing those projects. And there's so many pictures to go through. Like how did how does that all <laughs> like that's oh. a lot of work, right? It is. It's very overwhelming. Um, we have such an amazing team. Rita, yes, uh, you visited with Rita about the work that she does here. She is our um, our resident auntie, we like to call her, but she's <laughs> our guru awesome. collection specialist. I mean, she has been at the Historical Society for uh, several years, and she's such an asset. Our team works really well together. We all come in with a variety of skills and expertise, um, and we we pretty much approach all projects together. Um, and something like that is very time consuming, you know. So I'm doing a shout out to Jacob Bernier right now, who's our program specialist in NAI, because he has done a lot of that time consuming work. It is going through small little folders of negatives and taking a little magnifying glass and looking at each one and deciding. And then you have to cross-reference that to the article. I mean, so it's a lot of tedious work, important work, but it's a lot of tedious work. And the folks at the Star Tribune have been really great too. So there's a journalist who's been working with us and helping us better understand how some of these things were filed too. Great. And, uh, you know, I kind of want to step back just a little bit. You know, obviously you're very passionate of about uh, reframing the narrative. I'm just curious, uh, what, you know, led you down that path? Uh, what sparked that that passion to raise uh, awareness and, you know, teach uh, histories that people might not necessarily know when they probably should know, you know? When they, so. <laughs> when <laughs> they probably should, should know, know. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it probably stemmed from, like, early grad school days where you're, for me, it was um, at the University of North Dakota. I have a BA and a master's in history. And those early days, you know, you start as a teaching assistant and you really get a deep understanding of how little, how little folks know about American Indians in a, in a college setting, right? These large survey level courses. Um, and for me, I, that's where it first emerged. Like why, I don't understand why, why folks do not under, why there's, such little understanding of who we are as people, of who we are, of our histories, um, things such as sovereignty, where I, I do believe that people make it a lot more complicated than it is. They you know, say that sovereignty is too complex to talk about or, or to get young people to understand. Um, but I think that's only because we make it um, we make it difficult for young people to understand. Um, so I think with that, those early days of teaching, that's where it first started um, emerging for me that I knew that I wanted to engage with the public. I knew that I wanted to help. I wanted to be the person that was, you know, I'm okay with the slow process of education. <laughs> I'm okay with the long journey of helping someone, you know, get to the point of understanding. You know, people only know what they know and stereotypes and biases are so deeply embedded that it's going to take a long time to break some of those down. 
And I also understand that there's a lot of folks that don't have time for that. And we need those people too. <laughs> and I understand it, but we also need the people that can kind of sit there and say, okay, I'm, I, I want to work with you because I know you're going to get there eventually. <laughs> Amber, was there a surprising moment when you realized how little a lot, some people knew about Native folks in Minnesota? Was there a moment when you were like, how is this possible? I don't know if there was a moment so much as, you know, like years of teaching perhaps the same class. And, and you would think that every year as time was going on, I see. You, you, you would, I would assume and I would always hope, you know, that we'd get in, okay, time's passing, things are changing in public education. Um, students are going to come in with a little bit more awareness. And it was consistently the same, consistently the same. And I was always, in particular in Minnesota, when I started the grad program here, um, I, I, again, you're just overwhelmed at how little people know about their state. And it became, here it became a lot more interesting because Dakota um, language is embedded throughout the state. It's embedded in such a way where folks don't even understand they're speaking Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) They don't understand the place names. And so that's when, uh, for me, I think at the U, University of Minnesota, it really became kind of a poignant, you know, shift for me that I'm like, what, there's, there's something else going on that they're not able to, um, there's a disconnect, right, that they're not able to, and we understand that it's the K through 12 system, you know, they're just not getting that education. And that's why now there's such great organizations, understand Native Minnesota, you know, other organizations that are working to address that, the K through 12, you know, issue around, um, uh, around Native education and Native history. Um, But I think, yeah, again, it wasn't a moment so much as just sort of years of seeing the same thing. Right. So you have your work with the Minnesota Historical Society and you're an educator. There's another role that you have at Metro State. Yep. And I see here that you teach environmental justice and public policy. And an upcoming class is Topics in Contemporary Native North America Oh, Oh, my goodness. Let's just say, (laughs) I mean, and I have to take that for what it is. I, Mm. you know, and I always inform the class immediately that this is a short class and there is no way you're going to understand contemporary identity in Native (laughs) North America in four short months. That's not happening. However, what I can do is allow us all to zoom back a little bit. Let's focus on just maybe perhaps some themes. Let's choose a book. We can focus on that book. And then, you know, from there, you can kind of start, start at least, you know, to some degree. I think when you center them more around a text and then you start saying, let's be very specific now. We're going to really think about Minnesota. Let's, let's focus on Minnesota and, then it's easier. It's easier uh, for them to kind of wrap their head around larger, <laughs> large-scale <laughs> Native identity. Well, I mean, then then I want to ask, what do you see as being some of the defining topics today in Indian country? What are those those themes that you want to make sure that people get out of a class like that? The most important is that folks understand that we're still here and that we're contemporary and thriving, and that we're we the, all the struggles that are very, very dire in our communities we're aware of, but that it, the most important is always for them to understand that we are not of the past. We are not a historical um, being. I mean, we are, we are not of the past and that we are not, you know, gone, that we're still here. That's always the most important topic um, for students because they're coming in with 
really, again, profound misunderstandings. So you kind of have to, the first thing I like to do is disrupt those stereotypes. That's the very first thing um, before we start getting into identity and other topics that are happening in Indian country. It allows them to take a moment to stop and say, you know, how am I even thinking about Native American people? How am I thinking about Native people? And it allows them to pause kind of have an open conversation with each other and then dip, uh, dive into deeper issues. I would say the biggest thing where that connects and resonates the most with students is when we have conversations around environmental justice and native land. Um, those are the biggest, um, it's, um, it's impactful to them because it's, you know, we're having conversations around climate change. We're having conversations around how the environment is shifting. And we already know that organizations are looking to indigenous ways of understanding land to help combat climate justice and to help combat some of these environmental injustices that are happening. So because they have that connection already, you know, I mean, they, they already under they're, you know, young people are so um, aware of what's going on in terms of, of um, the shift, you know, the shift in climate, they're aware of that. So because they're connected that way, you can kind of, for me, it's always through that lens of understanding it through Indigenous knowledge. That's helpful. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Amber Annis, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen who's currently the director of Native American Initiatives at the Minnesota Historical Society. So earlier you talked about how, you know, uh, combating ignorance when it comes to Native American histories and people is the K through 12 system. Um, and you talked about the historical society working with edu- you know, educators and stuff like that. Um, could you give some, you know, examples of how the Minnesota Historical Society works with schools to, you know, bring about this change? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't like to call it ignorance. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the right word. <laughs> I no, like to be I educated too. I like to be educated too. So. I know you mean because, you know, uh, and that's why Rita and I work so well together because she would have said, it's ignorance. But for me, it's really of this, you know, sometimes I, and I, I believe this, you know, that the lack of knowledge that folks have, it's not their fault to a certain degree, right? I mean, in terms of, you know, we really rely on that K through 12 education. So um, Minnesota Historical Society, um, we do a couple of different things. We have a great education, teacher education program. Um, We've worked on primary source packets. Um, NAI has worked on those primary source packets with teacher education. And the biggest change is that that's coming then from a Native perspective, um, that we've stepped in and helped edit. We've created and drafted these primary source packets that are then sent out to teach to help them better have conversations around termination, relocation, conversations around boarding schools, um, you know, whatever those topics are around Dakota and Ojibwe homeland. And so because of that, um, that has opened the doors for a lot of teachers to see the Minnesota Historical Society as a resource. We have flaws for sure. Um, You know, one of our, we have a a Northern Lights textbook, which is a standard textbook. um, and, And we've come a long way in that textbook, but we still get some pushback um, on how that textbook's framed, um, particularly around conversations around land. Um, so we've still got some work to do, but one of the great things is how invested our teachers are across the state. I think I get weekly emails from 
educators that say, you know, I want to teach this or I'd love to approach this subject. Can can you guide me to the right place? Can you help me better understand this? Um, we provide um, workshops here at the Historical Society. The Teacher Education Program does. Again, that's bringing educators across the state together and providing um, resources for them and bringing them in conversation. And NAI steps in in different ways. We do a Native Nation training where we're helping folks better understand um native minnesota if you will so we kind of began with a look here um here's here's some understandings of the 11 tribal sovereign nations here's understandings of terminology what do we mean when we say sovereignty what do we mean when we say indian native tribe and then after we kind of go through this really wonderful like geopolitical understanding of the native nations in minnesota we just switch to assumptions assumptions that people have about native Americans, about Native people. And that's a really compelling part of that training because it allows, again, I mean, I, you know, and I say that where it's not ignorance, it really is people just wanting to know better, but never have having that moment or opportunity to kind of pause and, and be able to say, you know, it's not a safe space. I don't like that term, but it's a space where they could, you know, I mean, ask the questions that they do want to know and not feel like they're, they're going to be, you know, sort of, um, I guess, judge for that question. Yeah, definitely important to be able to ask the questions. Because yeah. I know in conversations with folks, non-Native folks, they're like, I don't want to ask the wrong thing. You know, and I get that. You know, there yep. are topics um, that I have a hard time kind of jumping into, whether it's like LGBTQ or like topics that I'm... I'm, I want to be supportive in and understand better. So like I get that flip side <laughs> of wanting to understand. Oh, absolutely. Folks you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. And sometimes the questions are, I mean, and we have to be comfortable too saying we actually might not have the best answer for you. <laughs> you know, and we remind people that just because you're visiting with, you know, a native person doesn't mean that that's the right answer and the right response. And that, you know, what we're trying to do is help sort of generalize some of these responses. But we also know that there are going to be, you know, a million other answers to one question. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if there was just this handbook? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. no, and that's the beauty too is, you know, tribes are unique, people are unique. Yeah. And and I think when you understand that too, that helps. Yes. So what, what brought you to the Minnesota Historical Society? What, uh, how did you uh, get involved in there? Um, I was finishing, um, so I was in the PhD program at the University of Minnesota in American Studies. Um, working with some great mentors of mine there. Um, and they pushed me, they they saw that I was becoming, that my path was not going to be in academia fully, that I was becoming more interested and involved in public history and doing community engagement work. Um, and so because of that, I had some great folks that pushed me towards the Historical Society. There was a fellowship that had opened up, so I applied for that. Um, and then as I was getting close to wrapping up the program, um, one of my wonderful mentors, Dr. Kate Bean, uh, was the director here at the um, Historicals, I mean, of the Native American Initiatives. And we also had our public senior historian, Maddie Harper, uh, Maddie Harper DiCarlo. So I had already had my eye on this institution that had some pretty amazing Indigenous women leading programs. <laughs> and I knew that Minnesota was going to be my home for several years. And I wanted to be in a space where I knew there 
were great, strong women leaders, native leaders, um, but also a place where my work wasn't going to always be the same. Public history allows that. It's that's a beauty of public history is that you're it's really interdisciplinary. You're always doing something different. Um, but the goal is always the same, particularly in our work, which is how do we make people understand who we are as Native people better? You know, I mean, we can do that in a plethora of ways. So that's sort of what guided me to the historical society. Um, and it was the right choice. <laughs> Gee, Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. And it's it's always great to hear from people who realize that these spaces need to be available and, you know, make that available for other people as eloquently as I said it. But mm. and we, we just love, we love, you know, hearing from people uh, like you who are doing all this great work. So thank you very much. Oh, well, Pilamaye, uh, to both of you, I um, appreciate how you highlight Native voices across. I've been a fan for a while, so I was uh, very nervous to come on. Oh, but, shucks. Uh, ah, shucks. <laughs> shucks. But, uh, again, yeah, thank you very much. So thank you to Amber Annis, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen, who is currently the director of Native American Initiatives at the Minnesota Historical Society. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.